Hello and welcome back to the Seriously Good Podcast. I am your host, Casey Evans, and as always, I am joined by Danny Corker. And how are you today, Danny? I'm very good, thank you, Casey. Um, had a good week, so we'll leave it at that. Apparently, Danny wanted to play a prank on me before this started by putting either getting a seven up, which, as we know, we we suggested a seven up afterwards, which would have been funnier. But he just wanted to do something as simple as just put seven nil in his background. So I had to do this entire podcast looking at it like I wouldn't have kicked him out of it within ten seconds. <laughs> but uh, obviously, Danny, me and Danny are joined today by a great guest, uh, Maxi Angelo. He's a writer. He writes about. Everything actually. I, he, I mean, he does his Serie A writing, he does his AC Milan writing, but he also does other teams as well. One of one recently that I quite enjoyed was the Independiente del Valle from Ecuador, which shows how worldly Maxi is. But I'm going to let the man himself introduce him. So thank you, Maxi, for coming on. And is there anything you want to say before we get started? Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a football nerd. I, I I watch everything. I mean, that's that's a, that's a shining endorsement right there. <laughs> I watch everything. Yeah, proud of it. <laughs> We're throwing the AC Milan out. We're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about Ecuadorian football for the rest of it. No, um, but yeah, today's episode, as we alluded to in the past, we're going to do it, we're going to be focusing on teams. Last week we did Udinese. You can go back and listen to that one. It was a great episode. Me and Danny had a great time ch- talking about it. But this week we're going to be talking about last year's winners, AC Milan. But before we get started, we're going to talk about what's happened over the last week because there's been a couple of things that have been. Quite big talking points. Firstly, Napoli lost, which is strange to say because they've been doing so well. And I was ready to do a whole bit of Napoli won again and we're going to move on with it. But Napoli actually lost to Saris Lazio, um, 1-0. And then Saris Lazio went into the Europa Conference League this week and then lost to AZ Alkmaar. So that's how weird it was. But did you watch any of the match, Danny? The goal from Vicino was, uh, was special. I mean, there was no saving that. It's Napoli's first defeat at home all season. I mean, they've basically won the league, so from whatever happens here, doesn't matter too much. But they won't have liked that, and and obviously having that home record blemished now is is annoying for Spalletti, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think he'll be definitely annoyed about that. Uh, Max, did you see any of it? Yeah, yeah, I watched it. It was kind of surprising because Napoli had some some really good chances there towards the end. So I I really thought there were going to be a draw, but yeah, lot lot you. Managed to keep a clean sheet and, and win. Yeah, and that, that that result probably hurts a bit harder for you, Maxi, because the the win by Lazio and also the win by Roma, who beat Juventus one nil, moves them both into the top four at the expense yeah. of AC Milan, which is not fun for you. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna move on and start talking about that soon. But in terms of the teams that we've kind of been looking at throughout the season. Um, Two of the teams that we both were kind of saying we were disappointed with uh, on the first episode was Fiorentina and Sassuolo, and they've both won their last two games. So maybe we actually gave them a little kick up the uh, <laughs> backside for that. But I mean, you've probably been watching them. Like, what have you think's been going wrong there? Because both of them are great teams with some good managers, and these teams have some good ideas. But both were kind of stalling a lot earlier on this season. Yeah, yeah, I think that at Sassuolo they haven't had a kind of firepower they had last season because you had you had Scamacca, you had Berardi. I just I just think they haven't clicked so much. I think they've scored like thirty goals or something like that and that's pretty much what this the goal contributions Berardi had alone last season, if not more. Uh, so that's their biggest issue this season I think. 
and and Fiorentina. I I've thought about this a lot. I I don't really know what the problem is there. I think it's some games it's the defense. Some games it's the they can't score. Um, they've they've also not scored a lot, but they've not conceded a lot. So I'm not sure. Um, they just don't have that mojo, pretty much, that they had last season, where everything just clicked for them. Yeah, I think you said earlier on this uh, in the first episode, you said that Fiorentina have a bit of the Brighton problem, where their their XG puts them really high up, Danny, and but they're actually just not scoring the chances. Yeah, but. Ever since I chose them as my disappointing team, I don't think they've lost a game. I think they've won every single one. So I think I've kind of jinxed them into to being good again, maybe. Uh, uh, their performances haven't really changed, but yeah, they've they've just looked a lot more clinical in front of goal. Um, Cabral's looked better. Uh, what's the other guy's blooming name? Oh my God. Jovic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and yeah, Jovic, he obviously scored against the team we're going to be talking about um, and has looked a bit more clinical. But yeah, I think Italiano's ideas are really good and I think this season has been strange, but uh, he's the guy they should stick with. And, and next season, I think they'll kind of be fighting for those European places again. Yeah, against, against Milan, they had some really good chances and I, I thought they were kind of brilliant with their, with their high pressure because Milan couldn't get past it and kind of start their build-ups. So... They they really showed some some progress that at least this game uh, compared to the the rest of the season. But now they have to build on that pretty much and and continue. But but I I echo then I think that Itali- Italiano is is uh, the guy they should stick with. They're also favourites on five thirty eight to win the Conference League now. I mean they got a favourable draw with Sivaspor, who are kind of bottom half of the table in Turkey. So if Italiano can deliver that, even if they finish 13th, 14th, that's incredible for Fiorentina. Like a, a European trophy is, is ma- massive for that club. Yeah, absolutely. You could see, see Roma last season. They obviously wanted the Champions League, but since they won the Conference League, it pretty much became a good season. So so Fiorentina can can do that this season if they, if they advance far in, in the tournament. Yeah, I feel like I feel like with how Italian football has been over like the last decade, where Juventus just kind of steamrolled everything in the terms of the league and before, obviously Inter Milan and AC made the the their pushes in, and also with the cups as well, kind of winning that trophy as like a, a a team below them in in the league, it made it be like, oh yeah, we're not going to win the league anyway, so if we get some silverware, it's a good season. Um, so we'll move a bit on on terms of we did this at the start of the season, and we. It might have changed now because obviously there's been three weeks since then. But we're going to ask you for your the team you've been most impressed by and the team you've been kind of disappointed by. And I'll let I'll let you answer both in in one go because I think like uh I think you're probably if I actually wanted your your opinion of who you've been most disappointed by, you might say Milan. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that that's correct. Other than Milan, other than Milan, because we're going to spend the entire episode talking about Milan. Who are the th- who's the team you've been most impressed by? Who's been the team you've been most disappointed by? I, I think that the two absolute contenders are, are both uh, Rome clubs, Lazio and Roma. But I think the team I'm going to choose is uh, is Atalanta because going into the season, I didn't have high expectations on them. I kind of thought they hadn't invested wisely in the summer and uh, I couldn't really see them 
win a Champions League spot or, or even thereafter because I thought that Lazio and Roma was were stronger than them. But they, they've shown... I mean, they've kind of dipped uh, towards the end here. But before, they've been playing some excellent football. Uh, I mean, offensively, Lukman and, and Heilund have been really leading the lines and this defensively they've they've done really well with the with Scalvini and, and Coop Miners doing a lot. So I, I think they've really exceeded my expectations this season. Uh, because not only have they had good progress for individual players, um as the ones I mentioned, but also they they've played very good football. Um it seems like it wasn't sustainable for an entire season, but at, at least it's something to, to build on for, for next season. And uh, they can get some players in the summer and maybe compete for top four or even higher next season. And uh, so I, I think they are the team I I would choose for the team that has impressed me. Um, a team that disappointed me, I think it, it is Fiorentina because I think they showed so much progress last season under Italiano uh, so I, I thought they were going to build on that this season but they've kind of taken a step back um, for various reasons as we discussed uh, perhaps uh, they are suffering from, from the Brighton uh, uh, what did you call it, the Brighton Potter problem, Brighton's Potter problem <laughs> Which don't say too fast because it sounds like potty problem and then that's a completely different thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, at, at one point of the season I I was surprised with the, how how bad Juve was playing as well. But they they managed to go on a super run there before losing the 15 points. They they were, I think, third or second. So I, I think I will choose Fiorentina because I really thought they were going to progress even more. Um, but hopefully, hopefully this this season is a is a lesson for them, so they can do that next season. Because I I, I really want them to do well. I, I like the club. I think they have some nice players. Italiano has some great ideas. He's a new manager. It's not another Giancini coming in or or something like that. They they've actually thought outside the box and and hired him as someone with some fresh ideas and and everything that. So I think. Uh, they would be my pick for disappointment of the season. I was looking. I was looking at Danny then look really smug because those were that was exactly what he said on both counts. He was quite happy with Atalanta, especially how Luckman's kind of come in and done very well for him. And he was disappointed by Fiorentina because he thought it would kick on. So the entire time he was just like sat there for for the for the listeners at home, just kind of looking smugly to himself, like Ah yes, the Italian football expert agrees <laughs> with me. <laughs> I was exactly that. I was like, if Maxi thinks that I've got the fixed spot on. Yeah. I'm just going to say Sampdoria as a disappointing pick was a much better one. Just... <laughs> but yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll round up this section with some of the other news. Um, last week we talked about Pogba. We talked about his triumphant return to Juventus. He kind of played a few minutes. He looked all right. He looked quite sprightly, as I said. Had a little bit of bounce in his step. And almost as, as his star has risen once again, it's crashed back to earth. As it has just been recently uh, reported today that he missed a team meal uh, either last night or when this goes out, it'll be a couple of nights ago, 
and he was left out of the Europa League squad for Juventus as a disciplinary action. And obviously the internet has reacted as they want to to Paul Pogba doing something wrong. Um, I mean, obviously, what do you think Paul Pogba will bring to this Juve team once he's kind of back running? Or do you think it's just going to be another stop and start season for him after all of his injuries and other things? No, I, I think he would be a he will be a key player for Juve because he he both brings this kind of uh, physical presence who can win duels on the midfield, but he's also very very creative, and I I they don't really have that kind of creativity in any midfielder, at least central midfielder, because I think Kostic has been excellent in in creating from from the wing, but. Uh, I think that he will add something, a new dimension to to their midfield, uh, kind of a step up from Rabiot because he he can also kind of be that kind of playmaking player, but Pogba does it on a whole different level. So yeah, I think that he will bring a lot, both offensively but also defensively, because he's kind of had that at least for a while. He had that role in in Manchester United. Correct me if I'm wrong. That he kind of had more defensive focus. And and be the first kind of face in the in the build up, um. So uh, a a new dimension to their midfield, which I think will help them a lot. To be honest. Yeah, I, as as a United fan, I think, which is not something I want to say in the presence of a Liverpool fan at the moment. But as 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 a United fan, I think Pogba's best moments came when he wasn't really given the defensive duties, and I think Juventus have those options to kind of take him off him. I mean, his best seasons were with Matic and Herrera doing most of the defensive dirty work and him kind of cleaning up a bit further forward. And when Solskjaer played him on the left wing um, a bit later in his tenure, because that allowed him to play further forward without having to actually like hold the ball in like tighter areas in the midfield, which was something he struggled with, especially when it came with his back to the um, opposition. Uh, and then kind of... Another thing, which kind of links this whole episode together, which is great, so it's a good thing, is Conte at Spurs. is kind of... It, it's been a marriage of convenience probably for a few months now, but now it's kind of just completely fallen apart. And a lot of their things is that he's going to leave Spurs maybe at the end of the season because his contract expires, but, but a lot of people are saying get rid of... He, he should be uh, moved on now. And the seemingly idea that he will move back to Italy and make a decision on his next move... Um, as an Italian football fan, as, as someone who probably watches a lot of world football, it's quick sort of make of Conte's time there. And what do you think will be his next move after? No, I, I don't think so either. Um, it's kind of a weird one because at the last year at Inter, he left uh, Scudetto winning side because he wanted to see, the, to see more investments. And at Spurs, he's kind of gotten the investments he's wanted, but haven't managed to make it work. So for the first time in a, in a very long time, I, I see kind of a failure from him. Maybe not like the ideas have been bad uh, because we, we know from before that his ideas usually work. I mean, he's won everywhere he's been, but it feels like he hasn't been able to implement them into the Tottenham squad and their style of play and kind of make the players understand uh, work in that kind of football uh, so I I think part of the blame is on Conte because yeah he's he's gotten pretty much everything he's asked for I can't remember a signing where 
where Daniel Levy has said, no, no, I won't buy him for you. Uh, Danny, do you have anything to add on that? Did you actually watch the match last night or, or it'll be on Wednesday night when this goes out? It's so flat and there's no creativity there. And even the guys that are meant to be creative haven't been able to do it. Like Kulisewski looked great in that first like six months and then the start of this season. But there's something about him where he, he's not a goal scorer also. So he's kind of this one threat. And it's kind of predictable. I think the squad. I looked. I looked at it last night after the game, and I just like Conte's signings haven't paid off. I mean, Perisic has not been good, and like you kind of have to expect that he's thirty four, thirty five, and he's being asked to like go up and down the wing at Tottenham. It's it was too much. I think it's just been flat, and I think the two personalities so the Spurs fans and, and then Conte have just clashed and it, it's not they've not bought into to what he does like other fan bases have um, I, had, I was thinking about it last night also I just don't know where Conte kind of goes after this I mean there's been rumours that he goes back to Italy but he kind of fell out with Juventus's board or ownership group obviously that's kind of changed but the ownership group's still there he fell out with Inter's Milan, I don't really see him going there. I can't think. Guess we'll touch on Pioli in this episode, so we won't go too much into that. Atalanta can't afford him, and also have Gasparini. Roma are fully bought into the Mourinho project. Lazio are progressing well under Sarri, and that is such a drastic switch in style of football. Uh, Napoli are obviously not going to change from Spalletti because that's just clicked. So, And anyone below that can't afford to, to hire Conte, so... I don't know where he goes. Maybe Paris is the obvious one, but him and that ownership seems like there'll be a lot of infighting there. <laughs> yeah, it does, it does seem like a natural point of where they'd meet because obviously they're kind of moving on from a Galtier um, 3-5-2, so it kind of fits a bit with what Conte would want. Obviously, the, the, the attack would need to be reshaped and probably will be reshaped around Mbappe from next season. So it's an interesting thing there. Um, but it is the case of the ownership do like getting involved and do like results. So it's whether and Conte's European record isn't really what Paris are looking for in terms of a new manager, which what is probably why they're moving towards bringing back Thomas Tuchel from the various reports. But what kind of kicked this off is their loss in midweek to AC Milan in the Champions League. Well, they drew, but they lost on um, aggregate, so they're now out of the Champions League and Milan have progressed. So, full circle, great thing. Links back to the podcast. Shouldn't really draw our attention to it, but I'm going to because it's quite fun. This season, we've already said, hasn't been that great. But, we're not going to start talk about that to start with. We're going to talk about last season. Because, obviously, last season, Milan won the title. Milan were, played some great football. All their players were on top form. I just need to get... I think we just need to get the reaction of a Milan fan to that win to really hammer it home because I'm probably not doing it justice. Oh man, where where do I even start? Uh, <laughs> I, I was pretty much on cloud nine the, the entire season. Uh, no, but I mean uh, until pretty much the last four, three, four games of the season, I, I, I didn't believe it because it felt like such a Milan thing to do, like F it up in the in the end, and I don't know if I can curse on this, but I, uh, yeah, 
It it felt like it's such a Milan thing to do to trip on on the goal line, uh, if we use fo- footballing analogy. Um, so when 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 we kind of won that, I think fourth the last game against Fiorentina when Leao scored in the like eighty second minute or something like that. I, then I kind of felt like y- yeah we're we're bringing this home. Um, but yeah, up until then it was pretty much just above all expectations because going into the season we just aimed for top four um, and and I mean it's both a blessing in disguise and something different because now now you we, we, we won the title earlier than than kind of the the target was set out by by the management so this summer, the, the spending uh, for for transfers were not that of a title-winning side. It was of a top-four-winning side because that's what the budget was saying. So it made it hard for us this season to kind of replicate that because we didn't kind of spend what was needed to take the next step, I think. We kind of got some some more quality signings but didn't kind of sign what was necessary if you understand what i mean yeah i mean that's fine like we the thing the thing is it is a blurring point because i think we spoke about it um, when we did our rounding up the kind of the transfers that you picked out were in the similar vein as the transfers that you did the season before in terms of they were highly rated talents but from lesser uh, known leagues and areas that you were hoping yeah. could make the jump up um, eventually, but obviously the the thing is is that in in some of those areas those players have had to play minutes that probably hasn't really befitted where they are in terms of their careers. Yeah, uh, and I think Danny can probably attest to that with uh, Charles de Catalari and other players. I think that he's mentioned in the past not really performing. Obviously, like Milan's whole model was picking up like low lower value guys that had a high ceiling, like Kalulu. Um, is probably like one of the best examples, Tomori. With De Ketelari, uh, it was a big jump in sum. Obviously, he was very, very highly rated. I think Leeds were the big rivals for him. So it's not... We, we'll go into it, but it's, it's not paid off. I don't think they really understand how to use him, and I don't think he's made the most of opportunities. Just going back to last season, I think, from a neutral perspective, it did feel like Inter would just kind of do it for a long time, and then Handanovic got injured, and Radu had to play in goals. I think it was against Bologna. I I almost celebrated that mistake more than the title itself, because because as you said, it it really felt like Inter w- was going to take it until that moment. So you've had a very similar point to this that we'll get into in terms of your <laughs> keeper getting injured and someone else coming in that's not nowhere near as good but um, I think just a point that I want to make onto Catalari and I think this is a general thing that I'll probably end up writing in another thing and I have my own newsletter if you didn't know and we'll just we'll just <laughs> for the listeners at home self-promotion but is that he's that sort of number 10 that a lot of people have bought because they've done well in systems that work but then they don't understand it's kind of like that that Kai Havertz Jane Sancho sort of mold of 
creative, like off the nine sort of player who works in the spaces but then gets put in because they've scored a lot of goals and in goal scoring areas, they get put into striking positions or like uh, attacking winger positions. It's like that doesn't create the situations that gives them the chance to get the goals. Anyway, completely separate point. Kind of overshot my hand there, but we'll move on from that. Um, so we'll move on to this season. AC Milan are now fifth. Uh, I mean, they're joint on points with fourth, but they're 18 points off the top spot. As we've already said, Napoli have basically won it unless they completely collapse, which doesn't seem likely at this point. They've already lost two more games than they did last season. They lost four last season. They're on currently on six. So it's a much worse season. As you've already said, Maxi, you wanted to put them as your most disappointing team, but that's personal investment right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we probably should start um, the manager because the... The manager seems to be the, the guy who always gets the flack in every situation, and that's 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 just the, the case with football in general. Uh, Pioli this season has done some weird things. I think me and Danny have both agreed at some point, um, but w we just kind of wanted to get your opinion and your gauge of the manager and where he's probably the progression of this season from, oh, we're not doing as well, to, oh, what is he trying to do to fix this? Yeah, yeah, so... I think up until pretty much the World Cup, everything kind of clicked well. Um, we we saw some kind of traits from from the title winning side from last season that even when when Milan was down, they they managed to find a way to win. Uh, like at, at Fiorentina at home just before the World Cup break, when when Aster Vranks kind of goes up and 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 uh, secures the winner in the ninety fourth. Uh, minute so Milan win pretty much that kind of Milan was what I saw up until the World Cup but after that um, it didn't uh, click the same way as before the the defense looked much more shaky it felt like the, the, the center backs didn't kind of have the same chemistry as they did before uh, Tomori I think had a bit of a dipping form and then it was the offensive football that that didn't either provide the same amount of chances and, and goals as, as before and I think that obviously Pioli is to blame because it didn't work out and I think his blame in this is that he didn't change into this kind of new system 3-4-3 we're playing right now earlier I think we kind of hoped for it to turn during those last games when we had, I don't know, I think it was six or seven games without winning, and kind of just hoped it would turn around um, instead of actually doing something to turn it around. Uh, so that that's his big blame in it, but I I really like Pioli. I, I think that he's somewhat late to react sometimes, even, even when it comes to subs, but he's very solution oriented that he can't know how to fix things as he's done now, obviously, early on with a new formation. But I think it, things are looking good besides not creating as much, but defensively a lot better. I completely agree with Maxi. I laughed there when he mentioned subs because in writing next to me, I've just got purely bad at substitutions. <laughs> <laughs> the the past the past few weeks or that spell when it, there was the heavy losses to Lazio to Sassuolo then that kind of demoralising 1-0 at Inter like nothing was working and it, <laughs> he seemed to be like kind to try to do the same things but and then he would start with these weird teams 
and then try and bring people on and it wouldn't work like but he has adjusted maybe just a bit too late like Maxi said yeah and and speaking of subs it's kind of funny because last season it felt like every sub he made paid off but this season it's been the complete opposite I mean it's weird subs they don't make the, the impact uh, wanted but last season everything clicked with it with a with the subs as well so yeah maybe just the purely high uh, went down yeah Yasin Yasin Adley we, we send our thoughts to your career <laughs> we send our thoughts to your your, your playable minute yeah <sighs> man I had so high expectations of that but he's yeah I, it's, it's kind of sad honestly that he hasn't got the gotten the chances because in that uh, I think we were in, in Dubai playing a tournament against Liverpool and Arsenal during the uh, the World Cup break. And Jasin Adli was pretty much the best player for Milan. But when we went back to Italy to play Serie A, he just disappeared again. Never has a friendly performance been so iconic as already been mentioned <laughs> twice on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this is the third time that that friendly performance has been mentioned. The third time. It's just like, it's like, it's not like, do you remember when Yassin Adli scored that goal in the Europa League Cup final? It's like, do you remember when he did that dribble against Liverpool in Dubai? <laughs> <laughs> Justice for Adli. Justice for Adli. Um, so you touched a bit on the tactics there, and I'm, pretty, I'm going to throw this a bit over to Danny. I think obviously that 3-4-3 that they've moved into. <laughs> Danny hates when I throw the tactics over again. <laughs> that 3-4-3 um, that they've moved into, they've played it a couple of times now. Uh, what's your take on it? Because I think what I noticed about it is it does give the security that Maxi mentioned. I think it allows them to kind of... It allows Theo Hernandez a lot more free reign to kind of go forward because he's not uh, he's not being restricted by the fact that he has to defend. <laughs> uh, I think Liao obviously then also gets the support they need and it kind of all centres around uh, the beautiful man himself, Olivier Giroud, <laughs> kind of being the focal point of it all when it collapses in on itself. But uh, I'll let you talk a little bit more on it. We'll just do a little quick roundup because it's kind of new. Yeah, so obviously what Pioli wants to do or what he's what would made Milan so successful was the four two three one where it, there was a big emphasis on these two fullbacks, so it was Calabria and Hernandez last season and most of this season coming inside and then the double pivot of Tamori and Benesser or Tamori and eh, not Tamori, sorry, eh, Tenali and uh, Benesser, Tenali and Kessie last season would kind of cover um, those wide areas and, and Hernandez and Calabria would be these two like central midfielders and you'd find them like meeting the end of a cross and scoring a lot of the time and then the two wide forwards would, would kind of spread out wide and create separation in space but this season to do with injuries, to do with just things not working, it's not worked out so Hernandez was not doing those sort of underlapping runs with Leao as much it wasn't clicking and, and things just weren't working so yeah he switched to this 3-4-3 three, three. Um, Hernandez is now like a left midfielder um, he's using he's dropped an attacker to bring in Malik Chia I do not know how to pronounce that name so I'm so sorry about that. Um, who's been really really good uh, and probably touch on him a bit more later um, and it's just kind of helped out Kalulu and Tamori, who, like you mentioned before, were looking shaky. He's added solidity. And then you've got um, Junior Messias as the right midfielder, who is 
he is an attacker, so like he for Crotone, he was like Crotone's main guy when they were in the league in attack. Um, so it's not like he's gone super defensive, but he's gone defence first because Milan were just leaking so many goals and it's helped them. I think the only game they've conceded a goal in since switching to that is, is Fiorentina, like we mentioned before, who won 2-1. But they kept clean sheets against Monza, um, Torino, uh, Atalanta and Spurs twice. So it, it has worked. He's reacted well um, to a situation that looked really, really grim um, at the end of January. Yeah, obviously Malik Joe has kind of the main guy during this transformation because he's barely set a foot wrong. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that both Miss Messias and, and Salamakers has done a, quite a good job on the, on the right wing wing back position uh, I think I prefer uh, Messias right now because he's got more of a creative ability than the Salamakers while Salamakers pretty much has a high work rate and that's it um, it's, it's my kind of feeling of it all um, so yeah I, I think that uh, if, if going forward with this formation we, we need to upgrade on on the right wing back position, uh, but right now I think that Messias is doing a, a good work because it's not a position he's used to playing. It's new for him, uh, but he's kind of adapted very well to it. I think a big thing as well. It's obviously personnel, but it plays so much into the tactical stuff. Is Mike Magnon coming back just yeah. helps at Milan? Uh, a, in keeping clean sheets because he's an incredible shot stopper, and then B, in build-up because he's so good with his feet, whereas the backup is is not. And that just kind of affects how quickly Milan can transition and break and overload on, on teams. So, yeah, I think him coming back and the new formation have kind of collided as one to, to really help. Yeah, I, I tweeted about him last night because I thought it was... Uh quite obvious during during the game against Tottenham that what Magnon adds that Tatarusano didn't is that also when when we have the ball in build up he kind of runs out from his goal line to become another center back and kind of provides width for uh, his teammates when when they're the last man and the opponent is pressing he kind of takes a run to become another centre-back, and that's something that adds a lot as well, because he has the feet to kind of be a part of the build-up, and which which we didn't get in Tatarashano, because with him, you have to kind of pass it back to him at the goal line, and he gets nervous with his feet, and just shoots it wide, uh, or long, whereas with Magnon, he kind of adapts to it, and and becomes another passing option and part of the build-up. Uh, and that kind of helps a lot as well. Yeah, so the defence, we, we, like we kind of, it's now it's perfect, chef kiss. It's like, it's doing it's doing what it needs to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we'll move on to the kind of talk about the forward line. I think this is kind of where Milan's big problem or big decisions will come, come, come into summer. Obviously, Rafael Leao is wanted by a number of top clubs. There's the contract situation, which has caused a lot of speculation. But then you also have the striker that Olivier Giroud has been indisposable this season. He's been absolutely fantastic. He's got uh, 11 goals and 6 assists 
in all competitions. He's kind of been fantastically well. And, and then obviously Ibrahimovic is still there, but he's been injured. He's not really made it much of it. And then you've got Divac Origi, who is rubbish. And Danny's glaring at me while I said this because <laughs> he loves Divac Origi so much. Uh, but Divac Origi is a very situational style of player and you can't really rely on him. It's probably the, the, the spiel that Danny wants me to say, not rubbish. Anyway... I think that uh, Olivier Giroud's been great. I think he's been fantastic, but he is obviously getting older and he's not really a guy that... It, it gets to that point in the career when you get into those sort of years that you don't want to have to rely on them for an entire season because even though they can be a regular part of the team and a regular goal scorer, they can just drop off randomly and that'll just be the, the point of their career where they were meant to drop off. So I wanted to put to you, it's like, how do you feel about this Milan attack currently? How do you feel about Liao's situation? And how do you think that the it's affected your season or will affect your next window? If we start with Liao, I th- my personal belief is that he will stay. Uh, maybe goes kind of against what the general opinion is, but I don't know. It's kind of the talk from, from Maldini and, and Liao's representatives that makes me believe that he actually wants to stay and they just need to find an agreement, and and Di Marzio reported in, in January that they're they're coming closer together for an agreement. So I I hope that that's the case because I really want him to stay. He seems to be loving life in both Milan as a city and and as a club. But if he is to leave, I think it's a massive role to fill because you need to find someone with a very high level of quality. I think you can't do. A signing like Charles de Kettler then because you need to add that kind of quality right away which will kind of go against uh, the transfer policy of, of recent years in Milan um, on the top of my head I think like a guy like Jeremy Boga would uh, be a good opportun- uh, option but I kind of want someone even higher on, on, on an even higher shelf than that uh, but that, that kind of profile uh, of player at least speaking of the rest of the of this attacking setup i think that obviously for two years now we've been lacking a quality right right winger uh, i think that messias and salamakers aren't good enough with this kind of with the kind of liberty that that liao has you need a kind of right winger with with that kind of work rate as as messias and and salamakers has to kind of balance everything out it's tough to find a right winger with this kind of tactic because you need to find first and foremost a quality player but then also one that accept the kind of limitation kind of take on more defensive responsibility because liao kind of has none as for the center forwards i think that it's i i love divok origi but i don't think that he's the the starting uh striker that milan needs i think he's an excellent backup because he's also kind of more mobile than than jiru and ibrahimovic yeah on that the the right-handed like the right winger for milan is such like a specialized role and it's like that's why like Salamakers has looked like good in there because you need that guy that's going to be hard working and things like that because I don't think Salamakers is that good a footballer like in the harsh not like a harsh way he's just I don't think like he's a starter for a Milan level team but he does the work that kind of then compensates for just like the magic you get out of Leal 
So it is a hard role to fill. Um, I'm going to shameless, shamelessly plug Orsolini for that role because I love him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think the thing with Leal is that you, you obviously don't want to spend that much money. You, you spent quite a bit on Leal in the first place, but I think what you have is a player that's kind of exceeded everyone's expectations in how vital he is to every single area of the pitch. He's, he's vital to your creativity, he's vital to your attacking sense, he, he's vital to even like the build-up around the box. He just does so much. He's kind of like, he's like the left-wind version of Saka in that sort of sense of just like, he's everything in that in that area. As the ball goes into that area, he does it all. But Liao uh, replacements are going to be important, but I don't think you can kind of pin that player um, straight away. I think you need to look into it. I think we've, we've got some questions, and I think it kind of rolls straight into this this question. We were asked by Michael Tui, friend of the show. He asked us, with Zlatan and Giroud ageing, and Origi being the only option past both, who do you think Milan should sign as their next frontline leader? He was like, who, which striker should decide? And Danny is literally bursting to say this name because literally he went, oh, I've already got a name for that. I know I've already got a name for one of those questions. And I went... I named the, I, I figured out the question and the player immediately. <laughs> so, Danny, you go first. <laughs> I mean, for anyone that has, like, followed me on Twitter, it's so obvious. Uh, Skamaka. Uh, My guy. <laughs> I was thinking of the same guy. I think we were all thinking of Skamaka, really. Yeah. It's not, like, West Ham is not a good situation for him. I know there's been injuries, but... Unless the manager changes there and the playstyle changes, like you're not going to get the best of Skamaka, and Skamaka isn't going to progress like he was at Sassuolo in that role. He should have waited, and I, I, at the time I, I said this, he should have waited for that Milan spot to kind of come available because it was pretty evident that this summer would be where Milan needed to kind of have evolution in the striker role, and Skamaka's perfect for this team. Like He's so good at dropping in and build up and he can create like the overloads in wide areas that Milan want and then breaking the box he can be that guy in, in the box his, his not, not as na- his natural like movement into the box isn't as good as some of the other guys his age that get talked about but he's still very good at that his ball striking is just phenomenal um so yeah, he's perfect for that role and he's a young Italian striker and probably the biggest hope for the Italian national team in that role as well. So having him at one of the big three um, as the main... Him, him and Liao as the main guys, I think that would be very nice for it. Yeah, yeah it's quite uh, incredible because I was thinking of exact, ex- exactly the same guy. Um, I, I think that the, the big problem there is that West Ham paid quite a lot for him. And uh, I think they they won't make a a loss on him. So I, I I'm not sure Milan has the the money to pay for him, but he's a no-brainer otherwise. Maxi's gonna be watching all of West Ham's games so far. It's like I'm praying on their downfall. It's like, yeah, that is the yeah. meme. It's just like go back to the old me. It's like relegate, please, so I can get the, I can get some Maka for cheap. Um, yeah, I think I think that's all our options. I think he's basically the the guy if you can somehow get him out of West Ham he's the guy um in terms of the other options a really outside shout and this is only just based on the situation that he's in at, in at Tottenham right now 
if you could somehow get Rick Allison on loan because he's a really good player and he does he wants to play more football and and if they don't lose Harry Kane in the summer, I think he wants to be the guy. So that might be an option. I I think that an outsider for this could be Beto in Udinese as well. Uh, not not as good as kind of dropping down, but he kind of has the physique for it and. I think he could be molded into it uh, because he has that natural goal-scoring ability in the box. Yeah, he also has this sort of Giroud like hold-up. So he's obviously not as good as Giroud, but he has that sort of like hold-up where he can just uh, pick it up in the midfield and pass it. I've just uh, sorry. I just thought of a name that could kind of fulfil that right spot for for Milan, who's actually been linked. I think is Ferran Torres could probably do that role in there. Uh, he'd probably need to work on his defensive output a wee bit more but in terms of like someone that's gettable that is good quality he's definitely yeah. an upgrade of what Milan have there right now I think that's a, that's an interesting option for them going forward I, I like that it, it's kind of a different different type of player and I think he I mean if you if you play him as kind of a I don't know, false nine you could kind of push the, the wingers up uh, leave leave more space for them centrally. Kind of kind of like uh, Liverpool do with uh, with their wingers, um, with Firmino dropping and uh, creating space. Uh, I think Ferran could do that at Milan. Uh, so our next question is from the Devils DNA. Uh, again, another friend of the show. They wanted to know about the midfield. They wanted to know about Milan's midfield. They wanted to know how the players were doing. Uh, we're just gonna tweak the question slightly, just to add a little bit to it. Um, who do you think has been the standout performer in your midfield this season, Maxi? And who do you think is probably going to need to be upgraded on in the summer? It's uh, it's kind of a maybe unexpected answer, but see the expectation. I think that pretty much Radek Runic has been a standout player because he's been so good now the last few weeks. Um, when we kind of changed the system, he... He's taken on a bit more of a ball-winning role in, in the midfield and, and done it brilliantly. But if we just look at the at the entire season, I would say I think it's Ismail Benazer. Uh, so good in in everything he do. Uh, I, I'm, I'm afraid that, that he will be poached with his release clause still being 50 million euros. Um, I think that, yeah, Premier League clubs will be there. Uh, but yeah, he's so good, especially in build-up. I mean, the the passes that man can carve through through the lines of the opponents is unbelievable. Yeah, Benacer is uh, is a guy I absolutely adore. Um, I got cooked on Twitter for saying that I wanted United to sign him over Casemiro originally because I was like, we we were looking <laughs> for a build-up guy, okay? Like that was my my major point. It was like we're looking for a build-up guy. He's young. <laughs> he's a little bit injury-prone. But he does it so, so well. I think, obviously, ben, uh, it's been probably my shout as well. I think Tenali's also... He, he's kind, he stumbled a little bit in that sort of point of form that you were having a bit of an issue with. But I think it's um, he was good. I think yeah. your thing is depth. If Benacer gets poached, you need someone to replace him. Definitely. I think you need someone who could do build-up. Um, I probably... I, I quite like Sivert Mansgaard from Mulder. I think he kind of fits your mold of an underappreciated player from a lower league who won't cost as much who will do the job and kind of, you can grow into a, a first-team starter for cheap. Um, so he'd be my show as, as a guy I just like. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know, I, I live here in, in Scandinavia, in Sweden, and uh, I, I know 
a lot of a lot of scouts in the in the in kind of the top tier teams in Sweden, and everyone loves Sivet Malsvart. I think I'd like to I'd like to plug Maxi Lopez at Sassuolo to finally get a big move because he's been like the hidden gem of that team for so long, and he's he does a lot of the things Benasser does. I don't think as well, but he's he's very good. I think on Milan's midfield, one guy's kind of been disappointed he's not adjusted. Is I really like Pabega at both Spezia two years ago and then Torino last year. He just hasn't kind of adjusted. I don't think he kind of suits Milan's play style, which is annoying because I think there's a really good footballer in there. Yeah, I, I'm kind of disappointed with him as well because when Francesi left, I thought that he would be kind of the natural replacement due to his kind of physical prowess. Um, but he's not managed to kind of adapt to the style of play and I don't think he's been that good while given a chance. No, I, I think Pabega is someone that's definitely, uh, I thought would do a lot better, but he's kind of just, he, he's just, he's, he's kind of left out because I think the other guys are just kind of so far ahead of him. And if he's just the depth piece, then maybe it's not too bad. But I think if you're trying to get back up there and you're looking to upgrade your team, he's definitely someone you kind of want to get a better option for. Um, in terms of our final question, from Alex Donson, Donny Faison on Twitter, friend of the show, great guy. He went, if Pioli has to go at the end of the season, which which probably won't be the case now, as we're saying, Milan seems to be on the way back up. Who would be your reasonable choice to replace him? Now, Alex has offered one little um, caveat to this entire tweet, and it was directed exactly at me to say, you're not allowed to say Marcelo Gallardo, but I'm going to tell you now, Alex, it's my show, I'm going to say Marcelo Gallardo, and you can't stop me. <laughs> Because I love that man. I love him so much. And I think with the sort of mixed bag of players that Milan have at their disposal, in terms of like the different profiles, the, uh, the different sort of skill sets they can bring to a, a game, uh, I think it kind of fits Gallardo's philosophy of he just basically changes the formation and picks a team on the day that kind of fits to the opponent that he's playing. He did it at River Plate and he'll probably do it at his next team as well. And I think that that kind of fits the, the Milan sort of midfield and defence especially. Uh, I think obviously there'll be players that play every time like Theo Hernandez, Liao if he stays, the strikers and stuff like that. But I think he's he's the one who's, if you have a mixed bag of a team with a lot of potential in it, he can probably get the most out of it. So yeah, I'm going to say Marcelo Gallardo because screw you, Alex. <laughs> um, but yeah, moving on, who would you who would be your shout, Max? I mean, obviously it's something that you've probably not thought about, but if you were to say... Would you go in lower in the league? Would you go outside the league? Would you want a big name? Would you want someone with a little bit more potential? I had two on, on, the, on the top of my mind, uh, but I really liked your shout with Marcelo Gallardo because uh, a, a few years ago I wrote uh, kind of a tactical analysis on, on his River Plate team and I, I was kind of just mesmerized with everything he did, not just tactically, but his leadership as well. Um, he kind of broke the stigma in Argentina with mental health for players and, and stuff like that so I think that he's kind of the, the entire package if you say it like that uh, but the two I thought about was uh, Ruben Amorin from Sporting Lisbon I think he's done great work there uh, or my my personal favorite uh, Roberto De Zerbi uh, but as well as uh, speaking of Skamaka, I think he will be tough financially to get. Uh, but yeah, I, I absolutely love everything he does. Uh, starting from Sassuolo 
I even saw some of uh, of, Sh of Shakhtar Donetsk's uh, European games under him before before the invasion in Ukraine, uh, and they they were playing unbelievable football just a few months under the Sharbis management. Uh, so I, I I would really like to see him. I think first and foremost uh, at Milan if Pioli was to leave. Yeah, I, I think De Zerbi, unfortunately, is now in that sort of bracket where he's been exposed because of Brighton to the rest of the world. Whereas if he if he becomes available, or people start snooping around him. You might think that a bigger club will make the move. Um, Danny's about yeah. to say Neil Lennon. I can see it in his face, but if he wants to. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, I won't. <laughs> because that was quite frankly a ridiculous show. Uh, I don't really have a name right now. I think if you offered Deserby the Milan job, he'd probably take it at some point. I mean, this is one of the biggest clubs, and Italians famously love. Italy like a bit more than like a Spanish manager would stay to Spain like Spain Italian managers kind of want to be in Italy can we please get that quoted and put as like the main main thing on our site Italians famously love Italy <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, but like if you, I know that sounds kind of weird but like it has some sort of logic to it like German coaches would go off and like go somewhere else but like Italian coaches seem to like like Italy more than I, don't, I know what I'm trying to say, but it's not coming out right. I think, um, not an instant replacement, but if Italiano keeps progressing, I think in a few years he'll end up at one of the, the bigger teams, and I think Milan's a good fit for him. Yeah, I, I thought about Italiano and, and Juric as well, but I kind of want them to establish themselves more and kind of show themselves on this level, because Juric has done great with, uh, with Verona, and, uh, and Italiano did very well with Fiorentina last season but you kind of want uh, them to prove themselves even more before kind of replacing Pioli I think I think that just wrap, about wraps it up it's been a great chat I've really enjoyed this one it's been good to talk about Milan's downfall we've kind of shown that Milan are a team that have been struggling but they've kind of found the footing again obviously the with, with every team there's always those periods where things get called into question and things are it's like, oh, sack the manager, these players need to be uh, signed. And I think Milan have had like a really big period of chaos, but they're now kind of finding their way back out of it. I'd like to thank you for coming on, Maxi. You've been a great guest. Is there anything you want to say before we finish? No, no, it's been a pleasure to be here. It's uh, been very interesting and, and fun discussions. Uh, I really enjoyed it, so thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely no problem. And Danny, do you want to say anything now that your headphones are working? <laughs> No, uh, thank you so much to Maxi for coming on. It's a great first guest, very insightful, and yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, as, as a first guest go, um, uh, I'd like to point out that you've been fantastic, and I think we, we've, it's been a great conversation. You've offered so much insight, especially when me and Danny have completely lost our word in, and you're just here, just like, here's facts, <laughs> here's midfielders, here's everything. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Obviously, we're going to have a look to try and get a guest again next week we're not we've not nailed down the team yet we we are not that organized <laughs> but we are we are going to probably get a guest but again thank you to maxi thank you to my co-host danny i have been casey and i'm not going to thank myself but thank you for listening to the seriously good podcast and we'll see you next week bye